Take your copy of God's Word. Let's turn together to John chapter 4. John chapter 4. We took a little break at the end of chapter 3 at Christmas time, and we looked at various passages from the minor prophets. Uh, And then on the first Sunday of the year, uh, my friend Robert Browning preached a fabulous sermon on Paul's letter to Philemon. If you missed that, it's on our YouTube channel. channel. I'd strongly encourage you to to watch it. It was really fabulous in pointing us to our faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. But we return this morning to John's Gospel, uh, and we come to this passage that is, I think, probably uh, extremely familiar to most of you, this whole scene with Jesus and the Samaritan woman by the well. There's lots of different ways we could approach this chapter. Um, My friend Jerem Bars, my former colleague at Covenant Theological Seminary, uses this chapter in his book, Jesus the Evangelist, as a model for evangelism. And so it would be appropriate for us to look at this passage just that way. But I'd suggest to you this morning that we have a little bit of a clue, at at least I think it's a clue, on on how to enter in and what this passage is really about and what, what Jesus is really doing with this woman. And it it centers on the fact he's sitting by a well, and he's thirsty, and he needs water, but he uses all of this to probe not just his own thirst, but this woman's thirst, and perhaps this morning your thirst as well. But in order to hear all that God has for us this morning, we need the help of the Holy Spirit. Let's ask him for his help. Would you pray with me, please? Almighty God, we do come to you as your people, and we do desire to hear the word of the Lord. Indeed, we desire to hear, as our confession says, the the Holy Spirit speaking through Holy Scripture. And so, Holy Spirit, we pray, come, open our eyes of faith this morning that we might see and hear wondrous things in this portion of your gospel. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So, John chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. Now, When Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee, and he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman of Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? for Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God, and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. 
The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming. He was called Christ. When he comes, he will teach us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. In 2010, my friend Louis Benton and I uh, went up to upstate New York in order to hike. Uh, We were hiking one of the the high peaks, in fact, the highest of the high peaks, Mount Marcy, which stands at 5,344 feet. And we were going to try to do this hike in a single day. It was an an 18-mile hike. Uh, it really wasn't that bad at the first. You get to the parking area, you're coming in from the north side. It's about four and a half miles of relative flat, slight increase. But then at the four and a half mile mark, you start going up and up and up some more. And the last half mile, you're scrambling over scree and using your poles in order to summit Mount Marcy. Of course, when you get to the top and you have these tremendous views of Keene Valley and you can see Lake Placid off in the distance, there's a bit of a problem. You got to come back. And so it's four and a half miles of down, 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 and then four and a half miles out. I I thought I had plenty of water. Uh, I'm usually pretty hyper about that. Uh, And so I had a couple of canteens in my bag. I had my bladder full, uh, but that day was a little bit warm. Uh, And I discovered on the way back that I did not, in fact, have enough water. Uh, I was just about out. The other problem was that the streams that were crossing were largely dry. There was not a stream that was good enough for me to pull out my filtration system in order to fill up my, my water canteens. And so I was starting to get so, so thirsty. Lewis, who's a doctor, later told me that he was really concerned that I was not only getting dehydrated, but I was getting dangerously so. And part of the way he could tell was I slipped into this kind of mindset of, uh, that often happens when I'm out hiking, get me out of the forest. Because it was three miles of me putting my poles into the ground and getting out of there as quickly as I could. We did the last two miles in a little under 28 minutes, which when you're hiking instead of running, that's actually pretty fast. By the time we got back to our bed and breakfast, I just started drinking more and more and more water because I was cramping. I was so, so thirsty. Have you ever been that thirsty? When you've 
perhaps not planned as well as you ought to have planned and in terms of having water or some other kind of sport drink to make sure you don't get dehydrated and you just know, you're just starting to cramp up because you are so, so thirsty. There's a sense in which I think this passage is pointing us to the whole issue of thirst. But it's not simply pointing us to physical thirst. It's pointing us to something deeper, something that the psalmist will talk about over and again. Like in in Psalm 42, uh, the deer pants for the water brook. And as the deer pants for the water brook, so my soul pants after you, O God. I want to suggest to you this morning that, that we have a bit of a clue about the thirst of this woman. And ultimately, not just this woman, but of you and me. Whether you know it or not this morning, we actually come to this place thirsty. This passage shows us how the thirst can be quenched, can be satiated and satisfied. And it, it's not merely with, with water. On the surface, this, the initial part of Jesus' conversation with this woman is it's all about water, which makes sense, right? Jesus is on a journey. He's made a decision to leave Judea and make his way north to Galilee. He's, he's gone through Samaria, and he stopped at this little village called Sychar. He's not actually in the village. There's actually a parenthetical at the beginning of the passage that tells you that the disciples had to go into the city, into the village. This, this well is probably a kilometer or two outside of the village, in the center of a field, as is described here. And Jesus is sat down, and he is weary, And as he sat down, he happens to have sat down next to a well. He would have been naturally, physically, bodily thirsty. And so when Jesus says to the woman in verse 7, give me a drink, this this request isn't, isn't merely a fent in order to have an evangelistic conversation. No, Jesus was actually thirsty. He needed water for his body. There's a real physical thirst going on here. Likewise, the the woman too, she too has come because of a a physical thirst, a bodily thirst. She needs water for her body. Indeed, she's come at the noon hour in order to draw water, not just for her thirst, but also to cook, also to wash her clothes and to clean her house. She needs the water in order to sustain life. and, And perhaps... Because of this task that she's given to day after day, this kind of drudgery of going to the well in order to draw, in order to take the water back, in order to quench her thirst and clean her clothes and clean her house. Perhaps that's why she responds so favorably when Jesus speaks of water that could could satisfy her. Verse 15, she says to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. She, She She recognizes, at least on the surface, her own need, her own physical thirst. So a water that will satisfy her body. What comes clear, though, is while Jesus certainly is thirsty physically, he's talking about water that will satisfy the body, there's a different kind of thirst he ultimately is talking about. A soul thirst. He points in that direction in verse 13. Do you see it? Your, your Bibles are still open. Verse 13, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. Now we get this. 
Our bodies need hydration over and over again. And when we aren't hydrating properly, we, we ultimately begin to feel it. We, be, we feel thirsty. We know we need a drink. Until our dying day, our physical bodies will get thirsty. But Jesus says something different here. He says there's going to be, there's something that he can offer that will quench our deepest thirst, the deepest thirst in us, in our hearts, in our souls. Have you ever been thirsty in your deepest part? Do you know what it's like to be thirsty in your heart, in your soul? What's that like? But when we know deep disappointment with life, where we thought perhaps when we were a teenager, when we were in college, and we had these visions and dreams of what our life would be like, and now here we are, we're 35, 45, 55, 65, and life didn't turn out that way, and we know this sense of disappointment and restlessness. You know what that is? That's soul thirst. Or, or when we know disappointment with ourselves, where we, we perhaps did something foolish sinful or even something even criminal down you know, early in our lives and it seems to have plagued us and we've known the consequences all of our lives and we've felt restless inside because of that that's that's soul thirst or when we've known disappointment with others when people have let us down and we've, we've like we're so tired of of having to deal with others because they always seem to disappoint us and we wonder what it is deep inside it's just kind of makes us kind of push back and we're restless in our soul, that, that soul thirst. Or when we hurt and grieve because of, because of our suffering, because of physical affliction or emotional distress, and we know what that is, and we, we're grieved all the time. It doesn't seem like the lights ever come on. It always seems because of our grieving, because of our own hurting, that there's this perpetual cloud over us. The sun never seems to come out. And we grieve that. That's soul thirst. Or we grieve the suffering of others. We're a caregiver. And for months or years, we've extended ourselves to care for the other. And we're so restless because of it. And we think, is this what my life was meant to be? Like that longing, that's, that's what we might call soul thirst. Or when we envision the great longing, the way our lives and our worlds or, or ourselves ought to be. And our dreams are out in front of us. And, and we haven't been disappointed yet, but we're still pressing on to that dream. And it's always elusive. And we long for things that we just can't quite get our hands around. What is that? Well, that's soul thirst. What do you do when your soul gets thirsty? What do you do when, with that, that ache and that longing and that, that desire, that, that sense of disappointment or dream or where things aren't quite what you want or desire and you keep pressing? What do you do with that, with that soul thirst? Well, some of us, we try to satiate the, that, that thirst by numbing ourselves. We're on our phones, I do this a lot, to, to disassociate with what's going on around me, just to disappear for 30 minutes or an hour just by scrolling. 
or Netflix and we binge watch something. We just want to we just want to get enveloped in something else so that we can step out of our disappointing lives because we're so thirsty we need to numb ourselves or or we numb ourselves with alcohol because we can't go to sleep as our minds are rolling with our, our ache and our thirst. We can't go to sleep without one or two or three or maybe even four drinks. Or, or we numb ourselves with, with porn because if we could just simply escape into some other world where someone might desire us, then perhaps, perhaps our dreams might come true. We numb ourselves, don't we? Some of us try to satiate ourselves by achieving We try to achieve in the workplace. We have certain goals and we think if we can just make it senior partner uh, by 45 or senior vice president by 40, or if we can just simply be the lead salesperson, or if we can simply just achieve in the workplace, then our souls will be satisfied. Or, Or at school, if we can just be valedictorian, or if we just get the full ride national merit scholarship, or, or if we could just simply be number one in our law class, or or some other thing, if we just do, then our souls would be satisfied. We wouldn't be thirsty anymore. I remember feeling this way about writing. Ever since I was 11 years old, I wanted to be a writer. I wanted to publish books. I'll never forget in 2003 when my first book was published, and I got the box from Baker Publishing and opened the box, and there it was, the book with my name on it. And I was hoping that that would actually satisfy. Clue in, it didn't. But we try to reach out to those kinds of things, don't we? Even here in church. If I could just be an elder or a deacon or a Sunday school teacher or a women's Bible study leader, or if I could just have the right-sized church as a pastor, then my soul would be satisfied. We try to satisfy our thirsty souls by achieving, don't we? Still others of us try to satiate our, our soul thirst by distracting ourselves. We travel, we go on vacations, or, or we get trinkets and baubles, jewels, we get the new car. We try to distract ourselves with new. And so we're constantly chasing after the new in order to somehow satiate our thirsty souls. Finally, some of us try to satiate our soul thirst by adulation. We will not leave the house unless we look a certain way because we, determine, we, we, we satiate our hearts by the adulation of others. Oh, she's beautiful. Man, look at how put together he is. Look at how he's, he's so, so stunning. Look, look at how... And so as, as others give us adulation, we feed on that to try to satisfy our souls because we are so, so thirsty. What we must recognize is that all of these ways in which we try to satisfy and satiate our soul thirst, they're really ways of turning to various gods. Martin Luther, the great Protestant reformer, saw this probably clearest of all. In his large catechism, he wrote this. He said, a god is the term for that to which we are to look for all good and in which we are to find refuge in all need. Therefore, to have a god is nothing else than to trust and believe that one with all your heart. Anything on which your heart relies and depends, I say, that is really your God. Idolatry does not consist merely of erecting an image and praying to it, but it is primarily a matter of the heart, which fixes its gaze upon other things and seeks help and consolation from creatures, saints, or devils. You see, when, when Jesus is talking about thirst and water here, he's really talking about matters of the heart. He's really talking about a thirst of the soul. 
which means that he's ultimately talking about worship. Perhaps it struck you odd the way this conversation goes, if you've read it before, that after talking about water for eight verses or so, that, that this woman by the well, she shifts ground and begins talking about worship and especially where people ought to worship. But it really isn't surprising. It's actually the proper response to the uncovering of her own soul thirst. You see, in verse 16, Jesus urges her to call her husband. You see that, right? Go, call your husband and come here. Of course, she responds, I don't have a husband. And Jesus says, you've spoken correctly. You don't have a husband. You've had five husbands. And the man that you have now is not your husband. And in in saying this, Jesus is actually exposing the way she's tried to satisfy her soul's thirst. She tried to satisfy her soul's thirst through relationships. And and whether she was sent away from her previous husbands in line with the way the Pharisees read Deuteronomy 24.1 because there was some defect in her or she didn't please her husband, she was sent away, or whether she chose to leave those husbands and find other men, Now, the fact of the matter was that now she was cohabitating with a man who was not her husband. And so in saying this, Jesus had revealed this woman's soul thirst. The law came to bear against her heart to show her her deep need and her real thirst. And because of that, her mind was, I think, rightly directed to worship. She was accused before God. Her heart was exposed. And so how does that get rectified? Well, in her mind, it was to go to a religious place by offering the proper sacrifice, by doing the proper worship, by offering the right penance. And so the question of where to go, where do I go, what do I do, that would naturally occur to her. You Jews say Jerusalem, we say Samaria. Who's right? Because I need to satisfy my soul thirst. I've been exposed. I need to rectify it. I need to do something. But it's interesting that Jesus shifts ground on this woman a little bit. In her mind, she thinks that the way to satiate her thirsty soul is for her to go somewhere and do something. But Jesus actually offers her the gospel and tells her, no, the way to have her soul satisfied is not by her going to God, but by God coming to her. And it was happening right now as Jesus himself had come to her. Notice what he says when he answers this question. Look at verse 22. He says, you worship what you do not know. We worship what we know for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. Now, the key phrase is there in verse 23. Did you see it? The Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is seeking. God is coming. And I think that's important for two reasons. First, Jesus tells her directly the Father is seeking, and he's seeking this woman. He's come right now. The hour is now. The Father is seeking, and he's seeking you, Samaritan woman. How do we know that's what Jesus means? Well, we know because of the the larger context of this passage. 
I didn't remark on it at the beginning, but in, in verse 4, John chapter 4, verse 4, John had said that Jesus had to pass through Samaria. Now, geographically, that's true. If you wanted to take the most direct route from Judea to Galilee, the most direct route was to go straight north through Samaria. Most godly Jews didn't do that. The Pharisees certainly didn't do that. The way they would go, they would cross east of the Jordan River, work their way up, and then come back across the Jordan River at Galilee so that they wouldn't defile themselves by contact with impure Samaritans. But, but geographically, it's certainly true that Jesus had to pass through Samaria. But in the light of what Jesus says here in verse 23, it now comes clear there was another reason. You see, Jesus had to pass through Samaria to meet this woman. The father was seeking her through Jesus. But there's a second thing here. The father is seeking and seeking her, yes, but, but there's a second thing because the Samaritans didn't know God as father. It was revolutionary for the Jews to know him that way, although the Old Testament gave plenty of clues that in fact God was a father to his own people. But, but the Samaritans only knew God as God Almighty or as El Shaddai. But, but Jesus tells her that she can know God as her father. He tells her that in verse 21. He says, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the father. Will you worship the father? And then, of course, the father is seeking. You see, Jesus of clearly and repeatedly calls God his Father, and as we know from John's gospel, it's because he is the one and only Son, the only begotten Son of God, full of grace and truth, right? So Jesus knows God as his Father, but what he's saying to this woman is, you can too. And the way you will know God as Father is through me, Jesus his Son, as, because the Father's seeking you. And the Father is seeking to satisfy your soul thirst through his son, Jesus. But there's one more thing. The way that she will be able to worship God is to know God the Father through Jesus the Son by the Holy Spirit. Look at verses 23 and 24 again. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. Now that phrase, spirit and truth, gets misunderstood. It doesn't mean worship in heightened affections and doctrinal accuracy. That's not what Jesus is saying here. Rather, the phrase should be read as something closer to spirit who is truth or spirit of truth. It's the way this little Greek phrase actually works. Of course, Jesus will call the Holy Spirit the spirit of truth in the upper room discourse in John 14, 15, and 16. In each of those chapters, Jesus calls the Spirit the Spirit of truth. And what Jesus is saying then is that the way such worship happens, worship of the Father, actually happens through Jesus the Son by the Spirit of truth. The Spirit is, in fact, the very living water that Jesus promises to give. We'll see it when we get there in John chapter 7, verse 39, but, but the Apostle John will make this direct connection between living water and the Holy Spirit. And so all of this tells us that, that our soul thirst 
is not really satisfied or satiated by a how, but by a whom. And the woman recognizes this. It's notable that when Jesus tells her that the Father is seeking worshipers and that true worshipers will worship him in spirit and in truth, that, that she doesn't say, well, how is that so? What does she say? How does she respond? Well, she responds regarding a, a whom. Look at verse 25. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming. When he comes, he will tell us all things. She says, I know the Messiah is coming. I know that he will seek the lost. I know that he will satisfy our hearts. I know that he will lead us to God. Really, I know that my soul thirst will be satisfied by a whom? By this Messiah himself. And so when Jesus tells her, this thirsty woman, that he is the one who can satiate her soul, he's, he's responding directly to what she's saying. Yes, woman, you know. It's, your soul thirst is not going to be satisfied by a how, but by a whom. But I who speak to you am he. I'm the only one who can satisfy your soul. I'm the one who's come for this very purpose. I have come seeking you. I want to satisfy the deepest thirst within you. That's what he's saying to this woman. But listen, friends, Jesus is here this morning and he's telling you that same thing. In a room this size with these many folks, I know there are people here who are soul thirsty. I know there are people here that are disappointed with life. I know there are people here who are aching because their dreams don't match up to reality, who've known profound injustice in their own relationships with others, or perhaps have experienced injustice themselves. I know that there's conflict that causes you to long for something better and deeper. I know that. And you're here thinking that somehow you can satisfy that soul thirst by a doing, by a how. Listen, Jesus is here today telling you, no, not by a how, but by a whom. And Jesus is here and he wants to offer you living water that can satisfy your heart as you worship him and stop running to all the, the empty wells and the broken wells where there is no water. Wells of your own making. Gods that you've created for yourself. Some, some kind of life plan that somehow you think is going to make your life better. And Jesus is saying, set all that aside. I'm here all you have to do is drink. Drink of me. Cling to me. Grasp hold of me. Trust me. Drink deeply of the water that Jesus, your Savior, offers you and worship. Worship him. Rely upon him. Rest in him. Friends, you don't have to go to him. He's already come to you today. All you have to do is trust him. Lord Jesus, we do bless you that this gospel truth is in fact good news. That you have come to seek and to save the lost. That you offer all those who receive you, who believe in you, who believe in your name, the right to become children of God, to know the Father through the Son by the Spirit. Lord, please, we pray, be our only hope in life and in death. In the midst of our struggles and our sorrows and our affliction and our disappointment, may we not run to other things. But may we find that you are right here all along and you're calling to us to be satisfied in you. Lord, grant us this grace we ask. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. As we prepare to come to the Lord's table in your worship booklet,